0: Hello, and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we sit down with private equity and venture capital practitioners and talk about their deals and deal making. I'm your host, Steve Jelsey, Senior Private Equity Reporter and Curator for The Deal. Let's welcome Mark Brown, who is Partner and Head of EQT Growth, the growth equity investment arm of the global private equity firm EQT. Mark, thanks for joining us.
1: Steve, thank you. Great to be here.
0: So, Mark. You were a big guy at Microsoft where you led the software giants' blockbuster deals such as LinkedIn for $26 billion. All told, you led more than 185 acquisitions for the company for 20 years. Tell us about EQT growth and why EQT launched the strategy last fall and and why you joined uh, EQT.
1: Well, again, Steve, thanks so much for having me. Lots of bits to the answer. I think that The Microsoft time was wonderful. 20 years, I I got to spend that time with the likes of Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, and most recently Satya Nadella as CEOs, but then a a whole other core group of senior talent, such as the current CFO, Amy Hood, and others. So that was a wonderful part of my career. But I I thought that there was another career to be had and knew of EQT and, and decided to pursue that opportunity over the course of last year. And there was a number of reasons. Number one, the opportunity to start a fund within the larger EQT complex was very enticing. Number two, to not only start it, but then lead the opportunity was a rare chance coming from the corporate side. And so I wanted to take advantage of that. And then most importantly, is really the ethos of EQT. Very much a firm focused on not only doing well, but doing good that plays itself out, not only through our portfolio companies, but the company itself, very focused on ESG, diversity, and inclusion, et cetera, and wanting to be a part of that next generation of investors who are trying to change the world in a positive way. And then lastly, like Microsoft, it was a very innovative firm. It was a firm that was inculcated with a growth mindset, just like Microsoft. So it's a firm that doesn't stand still has a a great ambition, and I enjoyed meeting all of the people. And that was an easy decision in the end to make that switch.
0: So one of the things that jumped out at me in your answer is that you you said you really had a chance to lead a strategy at, at EQT. So maybe working with all those entrepreneurs over all these years made you want to be a
1: little bit more entrepreneurial yourself, right? I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. EQT Growth is a growth fund focused on Supporting the next generation of leading European-based companies. And those companies can certainly be, while based in Europe, pan-European in terms of their ambition, uh, if not also global. I think the ability for companies, wherever they're located, wherever they're headquartered, to support in a very direct way customers on a global basis is easier than ever with the cloud, particularly to allow you to be able to do that. But we also think that Europe is an interesting time for the European landscape in terms of growth investing. Lots of institutional venture capital firms over the last few years now putting more capital to work at the early stage, which is going to be great fodder for us going forward. But also governments realizing the benefits of technology and and creating technology hubs in the various European countries to promote job creation as well as technology development entrepreneurs staying in Europe. I think there's definitely no longer the belief that you have to move to the US, let alone the Bay Area, to try to get both funding as well as engineering talent to sort of pursue your dreams. And we see a shift of mindset in terms of later stage career people willing to leave those opportunities and move into an early stage or an earlier stage company to help its growth. So we're really excited about what the prospects are for European growth investing. So
0: EQT growth seeks minority control and or co-control investments in high-growth companies and investments will typically range between €50 million and €200 million. Why this dollar range? It seems like they're probably more mature companies at this stage, but they're not huge yet. I guess it's kind of right, right where you're trying to find that sweet spot, right?
1: That's exactly right, Steve. We're focused on funding expansion stage opportunities in the companies we back, whether that's inorganic, M&A, new market entry on the organic side. We are very excited about the right risk return at that level where we have companies that have shown deep product market fit, but then who are also ambitious enough to think that they can either through the new market entry become more pan-European, potentially global, or... Through M and A can achieve sort of their full potential as companies in the markets they serve.
0: And you're focused on four sectors. We've got enterprise technology, consumer, prosumer tech, health tech and climate tech. Are any of these sectors more hot nowadays? Or are there any subsectors such as fintech that you're looking at? Uh, for sure, you know, climate technology, we're definitely seeing a lot there, but there's not quite yeah. as many companies doing that yet. So, I don't know, are there any of those, are those four subsectors, are there, are there any of them that you're you know, perhaps a little bit more excited about, or are there any kind of new subsectors emerging?
1: Definitely, uh, always some, some changing landscape within those four sectors. You, you named on the enterprise side, uh, certainly one of the hottest in fintech, where we have an investment in a company called Mali, uh, which is based in the Netherlands and is providing great technology to startups and, and some mature companies around the continent. InsureTech, where we actually have another investment in a company called Bought by Many, which is in the pet insurance business on a pan-European and hopefully North American basis as well. So those are two examples. Uh, We also think that healthcare technology in the digital transformation sense is a ripe opportunity as more and more disruption is happening in that space, whether it's telemedicine, using the platforms of Zoom or Teams from Microsoft or others to provide great healthcare in a more personalized manner. But also in drug discovery and, and other areas where AI and machine learning can be uh, major factors in speeding up the process of drug discovery, drug approval, uh, et cetera, are exciting areas. And as you mentioned, climate tech, where we think that from a growth investment perspective, we are on the cusp of seeing many of those early stage climate technology companies be ready for the kind of capital we provide. So we're super excited across the landscape in the areas we play in.
0: Yeah, I haven't heard about too many climate tech companies yet. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for those kinds of transactions. That's an interesting category there. And uh, with all the focus on ESG nowadays, and you know, e, e meaning environmental, we'll probably see a lot more of those. One thing that kind of jumped out at me about your firm is most growth equity firms focus on minority positions, yet you're also doing control deals. Tell us about how that works. And in a control deal, are you usually looking for founders or management to at least retain a stake in a company? I've heard people say that if they're willing to sell you the entire company, maybe they're not really that optimistic about the company.
1: Yes. Yeah, so on that point, particularly in co-control and in full buyout opportunities, we definitely want management, founders, or current management to roll over and sort of reinvest in their enterprises. Even if we're buying 100% of something, we still want them to be incentivize partners going forward. So the full buyout still has an element where we want them economically incentive to reach the full potential of the company. We think the the European landscape provides opportunities across the spectrum of type of deal. We think that there are lots of whether bootstrapped or family office backed enterprises across Europe that are looking for a partner like EQT, an active investor who can provide not only capital, Which is certainly the commoditized part of the equation, but can provide a wide range of expertise to help them again, reach their full potential to create value beyond where we actually enter the company. And so we think that having the flexibility to own 10% or own 60% or more provides the right capital solution for the companies that we are looking to back.
0: One thing we report a lot about in private equity, Mark, is private equity firms versus strategics. And it seems like a lot of times strategics can outbid private equity firms. So you work for a strategic company, Microsoft. So how can private equity firms compete with strategic players such as Microsoft or you know, just strategic players in general that seem to have deeper pockets at times? Since you've kind of been on both sides of the fence here now, any thoughts on that topic?
1: Well, I do think it's an interesting thing. and We certainly thought a lot about it when I was at Microsoft. Now, we we didn't often see private equity as a Competitor in the deals we did, whether it was things like LinkedIn or Minecraft, you know, we, we tried to be very proactive at Microsoft. So to avoid auctions and, and other situations where there'd be multiple competitors. I think private equity firms have certainly some advantages uh, in the current environment, low interest rates, lenders that seemingly uh, are leaning in towards understanding the value of ARR and net retention and other metrics, which give them uh, an ability to lend against the capital structure, whether you're doing software or other technology deals, that'd be one thing. I think speed is another, I think the movement of private equity firms to the use of insurance and other products to support reps and warranties and, and deal structures in general. Has allowed them to move extremely fast? Whereas a a I know at Microsoft, ours was very much a relationship transaction where we built up a relationship with a founder or management team over a period of time. And so speed is certainly one thing that the private equity firms can use to combat the aura of a strategic buyer. But in the end, I think it's really about the founders and management teams and making a decision because there are two very distinctive pathways there. A buyout firm is certainly one route, and it's certainly an interesting play. But at Microsoft, we told a story about joining this broader Microsoft team that was trying to change the world in terms of software that gave you a platform as a founder or management team to take your product and put it into the channel of Microsoft and have it you know, reach hundreds of millions of people in a, in a very short order. So two de- very different pathways, and I think management team's ultimately need to really decide which route they want to go.
0: Yeah, speed is definitely a factor here because when you're a strategic, you definitely have to follow protocols as a public company and, and, and whatnot. And some private equity firms are able to be pretty nimble. So that's people want to do a deal, they'll probably want to do a deal with somebody who's more nimble. So that's definitely an advantage. I could see that for sure. So let's talk about valuations right now, though, for example. They're pretty high in, in the software business. Are you focusing on areas of Europe that may not be as well-known, or maybe they don't have as high valuations because they're in different parts of Europe? I know, for example, one private equity firm I've spoken to, they've done a lot of deals in Croatia, uh, which is not known for being a tech hub. But there are these little, as you said, there's like these little tech hubs kind of bursting up all over the place in Europe. And does that help you find better deals, in a sense, and it may not be as expensive as some other areas?
1: We don't think there's much price arbitrage between the US and Europe. I think that there are fewer capital sources in Europe, which yeah, has its own dynamic, but but in terms of valuation, you know, everyone has access to the information about where public companies are trading, et cetera. So the the price element isn't really an arbitrage opportunity between Europe and the US. What I've said about prices, you know, you could have said at any point in the last almost 10 years that prices were high, and in the moment they absolutely are. I don't think my job as a growth investor is to be a market timer. I think there are others in the hedge fund world and, and others who do that well. My job is to find great companies that are going from an economic cycle perspective to fare well over the next five to 10 years in good times and bad. And and that is our focus. I think everyone focuses on the price in terms of an entry or an entry multiple. But that's I don't think, is the right way to look at the opportunity. We rather take a long-term view in terms of the truly addressable market for a company and their ability to capture and retain customers. We think that and the ability to grow into that is are really the things that attract capital to an opportunity over the long term. And so that's the value creation strategy we have. And so your entry point certainly makes a difference, but on a relative basis, is it high or not? That's not our focus.
0: I wanted to talk about some of your career milestones at Microsoft real quick. And you mentioned that Microsoft kind of worked with founders over time and developed relationships to do its deals. So was that kind of some of the key factors in your winning the LinkedIn deal as well as the Minecraft deal?
1: Well, absolutely. If you look at Minecraft, I think our gaming business was well-known and, and the leaders of our gaming organization were well-known. And that did make the difference as Minecraft was looking to find its next home. In that particular deal, we're competing against another strategic, and it was very clear that the Minecraft folks wanted Microsoft not only for, again, the gaming opportunity, but what more we could do with Minecraft and our ability to be a great steward of the Minecraft business that they had created. And, and sort of it committing to that as a go-forward proposition was key for Notch and the team to make the Microsoft decision uh, in terms of their opportunities at the time. And the same is very much true for the LinkedIn transaction. We were competing there against another strategic and the relationship that Reed Hoffman and the team created with not only Satya Nadella, uh, Amy Hood, and others inside of Microsoft, but also the relationship that Reed formed with Bill Gates was an important component, I think, of the ultimate decision again, about who they wanted to partner with. And that's how we view these kinds of acquisitions, be they big or small. Who did they want to partner with on a go-forward basis? And luckily, as the latest reporting has shown, it's turned out well, I think, not only for the LinkedIn shareholders and management team that came over to Microsoft, but it's also worked out for Microsoft shareholders.
0: And what's the secret to working with founders and entrepreneurs? You've you've done a lot of that over the years. And are there any lessons you can share? I mean, these are folks who have started up their own companies. It's almost like another child to them in some ways. It's a very valuable thing. What's the key to kind of working with those folks?
1: I don't know if there's a particular key. Where I always start is to really be curious, to really be open-minded about their pathway that they've taken to get where they are both its ups and its downs to really sort of listen to the story and then make a view about how you might be able to help them from where they are. Trying to change them, I don't think is the right pathway. You can be helpful, you can be there to support, can be there to question, but I think trying to make someone completely change who they are is not the right way to be a great partner for someone. Particularly in the minority situation, that plays itself out In the co-control situations, I think the EQT approach is fairly unique. We don't bring a, a, a lot of operating partners to bear on particular situations. We use a consultative method, and by that I mean really driving to support the management team and provide context to the challenges that they face and the opportunities that they see where we can be a sounding board, and a thought partner with them on a go-forward basis. So it's a slightly different approach to some other firms in that regard. And we think that's in part why founders have decided to work with EQT across all of the different strategies that we do have, but also why they've chosen EQT Growth as a partner to help them move forward.
0: I have to say, uh, on a personal level, I do find you to be very approachable and plain-spoken person, despite the fact that you're one of the most sophisticated technology executives out there. But there are other things that EQT brings to bear as well. I guess there's something called Mother Brain. It's, it's EQT's proprietary AI-based investment platform. Talk about that and how that helps you in what you do.
1: Sure. Uh, MotherBrain is very interesting. It, it goes back to what I referred to as EQT being very innovative. It's using AI and data science to not only help identify, and this is true across the platform, so this the ventures group uses Mother Brain, the growth team uses Mother Brain, the entire private equity capital platform uses Mother Brain, so that, that's inclusive of infrastructure and real estate and everyone else. And it is a effort to provide data that can come from any source that could potentially help me as an investor understand a trend understand a customer, understand a market better than I might if I were the sole practitioner doing my own research. And we think it can therefore not only help on deal sourcing, it could potentially even identify as it has in the venture space, a particular company that the team should further investigate, but can also identify trends, can identify great people as they move from company to company or where they currently sit. And I think it can also be used and will be used by us in the growth space on the value creation opportunity side as well. So identifying potential M&A targets, potentially, again, uh, people that you'd want inside your organization if you're looking to expand globally, for instance. And that data set and the number of people we have working on it, which is over 25, I think is rather unique in the private equity space. And certainly has already paid dividends first through the ventures effort where, again, it has helped in identifying particular opportunities, but also helped us in terms of just triaging the vast number of growth investment opportunities as well. So we sit right beside Mother Brain as we're doing our hit list and high conviction analyses of certain markets.
0: Okay, so... What's your deal pipeline look like for the rest of the year with EQT? You're on board there. You've you've done a couple of deals that you mentioned. There's a couple of them there, uh, bought by many, vinted and pet insurance. That's pretty interesting. You know, that's a pretty interesting deal. So you're going to be doing some add-on deals for those or you got any, uh, a lot, a lot of transactions in the works right now for the remainder of
1: 2021. Yeah, from a portfolio company perspective, there are certainly opportunities, both organic and inorganic, that are being explored across our portfolio, which also includes Epidemic Sound, which is a very interesting sort of prosumer consumer company based in Europe, as well as Volt, which is W-O-L-T, a food and grocery delivery firm, which is, again, pan-European in scope and also has its product in places like Israel and also in parts of Asia as looking at growth factors. So we're supportive of growth avenues, both organic and inorganic at those companies. And then from a New Deal perspective, there's certainly no shortage of opportunities and what we're trying to do is take a very thematic approach to the sectors and subsectors that we both focus on and then therefore drive the deals that we do. As active investors, we we think being thematic gives us the greatest opportunity to not only convince founders and management teams that we're the right partner to help them reach their full potential, but also puts us in the best position to be early in the identification process of opportunities. In the European landscape, as we look to use the EQT network of both EQT employees around Europe, we have employees stationed all across the continent in offices today, but also the EQT investor network, uh, which is a network of 300 plus individuals who are affiliated in some form or fashion with EQT, but who also drive deal opportunities and also work on diligence and other things, but then most importantly, work on value creation opportunities for their portfolio companies. So we're super excited about the pipeline and prospects, as I mentioned before, for growth investing in Europe.
0: And you would not consider a turnaround or an opportunistic deal, right? You're, just, you're looking for healthy companies for the most part, right?
1: Yeah, not just for the most part, but, but specifically. I, I think we're not the best investor for a turnaround situation. We're looking for opportunities where we can, again, help really expand the company's operations and reach its full potential, hopefully faster through not only our capital, but uh, our value creation opportunities that we can bring to bear.
0: Okay, Mark Brown, Partner and Head of EQT Growth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. This is Steve Jelsey, Senior Private Equity Reporter and Curator for The Deal. Thanks for joining us for Behind the Buyouts.